0: You're listening to the weekly podcast from Solid Ground Church. We hope that this is uplifting and encourages you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. If we can be of any help at all, please visit us on the web at solidground.church. Now let's get to this week's message. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Church at Home, or specifically Church at my home. You're you're in my house. Thanks so much uh, for hanging out with us today as we are in COVID season two and rolling along. Hopefully one day the series will be canceled. But anyway, uh, my name is Byrne. one of the pastors here at Solid Ground. I just want to invite you, if you have a Bible, open up to Romans chapter 12. That's where we're going to spend the majority of our time today, Romans 12. Uh, While you're turning to let me just sort of give you a, if you haven't tuned in before, here's the. The thought behind what we're doing. We are in a series called Hindsight is 2020. And, and basically, uh, as we were coming into 2021, I just kind of realized, man, like there's some really unique lessons from the time that we're living in uh, that we learned from 2020. So I want to just take this time to highlight those and, and maybe we can grow uh, as, as a people. And so, um, I had already planned on talking about politics because it was an election year and everything that went down with that and how polarizing it was and all the anger that has really been associated with politics in, in 2020. And then, of course, everything uh, that all the craziness uh, since uh, the election that's taken place rolling into this year. So I felt like uh, it was the. A really good idea to talk about politics with you guys um, and not to tell you who to vote for or or to endorse a political candidate but just to sort of think through okay like what does the bible teach us when it comes to living under governments and the right way to do that and um, i should tell you like when it comes to politics it's something that i rarely talk about um, and, and the reason i don't talk about politics a whole lot is you know it's been said in our culture that really the the way that you can offend people is to talk with them about either religion or politics And uh, since I talk about religion for a living, I just thought, man, you know what? I'm going to not go out of my way to offend when it comes to politics because even though I love this country, I think it's the best country on the planet and our system of government is, I think, really just, it's the best that human beings can possibly create. Um, I I do recognize that when it comes to offense, um, I I just think about the human heart like this, like just sort of imagine um, like a bucket, right? Like just a big water bucket, you know, you take a hose or you take a... I don't know. Picture you start pouring water into the bucket, right? And you just keep pouring water, pouring water. At some point, what happens? Well, the bucket gets full, right? And, and the water, even though you, if you keep trying to pour more water into it, well, the water just spills out over the sides. The bucket just can't hold any more. And, and I think. Uh, when it comes to human offense in our hearts, we're a lot like that, where if somebody just continually brings up viewpoints that challenge us and you know maybe great against us, it's, some, it's not that we're never challenged or, or anything like that, but just at some point we stop listening to them because our, like, our offense bucket is full and no matter what they pour into us, it just spills out over the side. And so I just, man, you know what? I made up my mind a long time ago, listen, because I, I want people to know Jesus, I'm going to make sure that whenever possible, the only thing that I'm putting into their offense bucket is the gospel. Because the gospel is offensive. I mean, this idea of, listen, turning from your sin and, and turning to the Lord and, and, and how, like, none of us can earn salvation, like, that's an offensive thing. And so I said, you know, listen, I would rather that the offense bucket be full with the gospel than. Political views, and it's not that I don't have political views. It's that I just, you know, tend to try and not bring them up publicly whenever possible because I just don't think they're the most important thing. I don't think an election is going to save somebody's soul. I don't think that a government policy is going to set right the ills of the human heart. And so, I would rather focus on the thing that that can—that's a life-giving relationship with the Lord Jesus. And I would just, you know, ch- challenge you, our church. Um, When it comes to, like, because we live in this age, it's all about politics. I mean, like, media voices are very loud about political agendas. And and what can happen is we can get so wrapped up in that hysteria, anger, feeling like, okay, like, unless we get the right person elected, the world's going to go and fall apart. Then what can happen is we can just start to post- things on social media and become outspoken about politics and I would just remind you as Jesus followers that the main thing you want to point to is Jesus and so it's not that I'm saying never vocalize your opinion on it but I would just challenge you to to check your heart and check your gut with this question right here And, and if you're taking notes maybe write this down just simply this um what do you want to be a witness to like, when it comes down to it, what is it that you want to be a witness to? What is it, okay, that if, if people were, like, if you were going to challenge people and you were going to throw things their way that you felt like they really, really needed to hear, okay, what is it that you want to be known for when you do that? Is it, you want to be identified with the political movement, uh, the gospel? I'm mean, like, what is it? Like, use that as a filter. Like, hey, man, you know, I want to say this. I want to say that. I want to protest this. I want to vocalize that. Okay, but what is it that you want to be a witness to? Because I think, you know, listen, at some point, people are going to stop listening if you're just throwing things at them constantly because the offense bucket will be full. And so let's just be selective in that. Now, all that stuff said, what I'd like for us to do is really just answer the question today. If, if we're if we're diving into the scriptures and we're wondering, okay, like what does the word say about uh, government and how Christians should uh, engage government? Here's what the question I want to ask, and it's just simply this: uh, What do you do? when someone you don't approve of is in government above you. Let me ask that again. What do you do when somebody that you don't approve of is in government above you? Now, that's not a statement for or against any president or any political leader that we've had. But but the, let's, let's just own this that at some point, somebody is going to be in power that we don't think should be in power or who, we disagree with their policies and, and, and we just think, man, somebody else could do the job better. And so what will happen is at some point we will form opinions about people who are in government who we don't think should be there. And that's where Romans 12 comes into play. Okay. Um, let me do a little bit of historical legwork for us to understand the significance of this passage. And you're like, we're going to get into the word very, very soon, but you have to understand the context of Romans to understand what's being said here in Romans 12. So um, the book of Romans, just, just to know this, here's a little bit of historical legwork. Uh, the book of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul, and he wrote it to a group of people who had really been kicked around by the Roman government like crazy. It was written to a church in Rome, and here's what had happened uh, several years before the Book of Romans was written, uh, in about 49 A.D., the, the Roman Emperor Claudius he instituted this thing called Diaspora. Basically, what had happened was this: there were there was a lot of infighting among Jewish people who were living in Rome. Mostly, uh, there was this fledgling religion you might have heard of it. It was called Christianity. Uh, it was it was spreading within the Roman Empire, and and Jewish people viewed it as an affront to their religion, and so they began to uh, Persecute their Jewish brothers and sisters who were converting to Christianity, and they, I mean they would they would beat them. There, there was rioting, there was death, um, like, and so finally at one point Emperor Claudius he just got sick of it. He said, you know what, forget this. I will not have this unrest in my city. And he needs to do this thing diaspora, where basically he just kicked everybody who was Jewish out of the city of Rome. Listen, like if this is your heritage, you're gone. No more. I, I'm not putting up with this. And so, okay, what if what if I, I have a house here? Well, now you don't figure it out. Okay, well, what if I have a business here? Well, well, now you don't. Go figure it out. I like, just literally get out of the city, I'm done with it. All right. And so you had this scattering of people, both like Jewish in terms of traditional Jewish faith and Jewish Christians. People who like had like their, their Jewish background, their brothers and sisters were turning on them, and they had lost everything. So time goes on and Claudius dies, and they're allowed to come back to the city of Rome. But the Jewish Christians, man, they come back, and what they found is this, like, the Gentile people who they had converted to Christianity had taken over the church. They were now leading, and and so, like, Jewish Christians, they felt like they were stuck between a a rock and a hard place, so they were like, okay, I came back, but now my church family moved on without me, and and now they're not listening to me anymore, I'm not a leader, like, what do I do? And so there's this real tension between uh, Jewish Christians Uh, and and Gentile ones. And so what Paul does in, in the book of Romans is he begins to write about getting along with those who you disagree or if life hasn't worked out the way that you hoped that it would. And it's written in this age of just absolute political unrest. I mean, you've got riots happening. You've got insurrections going on. And I like to bring that up because here's the thing. For us in the U.S., okay, like, listen, we've seen the events at the Capitol. We've seen the way people have, have rebelled against government, like, over the last year, okay? And we see rioting. We see looting. We see, like, like all kinds of taking up of arms. And to us, it freaks us right out, right? Well, here's the thing to understand. That is not unique to us. And that is not even unique in human history. More to the point, when it comes to, like, responding to disagreement with violence, like, fighting back with our fists or our words, it's always been done that way. As long as human beings have been here. That's how people typically respond to, to people in power and political systems with which they disagree. What they do is they say, Listen, fight back, okay? Fight back. Listen, like you don't like your city has been occupied by somebody that you don't think should be there. Kick them out with the sword. Like you you, you don't like your, your governor or your Roman Emperor, find a way to get them assassinated. Like this is how people typically have responded. Listen, what we've been taught to do is fight back. But here comes Paul. And Paul goes, No, 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 no. That's not how we're going to do things. That's not how, like, Christians are going to respond to a government system that they disagree with. And so, in Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 18, he says this. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And, and, okay, so, Paul, what are you saying? Well, what I'm saying is this. Okay, listen, sometimes people are going to not let you live in peace. Maybe they're going to attack you. They're going to uh, strike at you. They're going to take advantage of you. But Paul goes, listen, when, whenever it's on you, okay, whenever it's about your response, you live at peace. Whenever you're faced with an opportunity where you could choose to not live at peace. No, no, you're going to choose to live at peace with Everyone. And think about how, uh, in our Advent series, if you watch that, where we talked about this idea of peace being those, like God's stillness and completion in creation, God's, God's like nature against sin being reflected, and, and it's this idea like live in peace, live at arene or or shalom with with everyone. And he says in verse nineteen, "Do not take revenge, my dear friends." And this word that we translate as revenge is the Greek word eki. Or uh, And um, what it literally is talking about is this idea of taking justice into your own hands, like to dispense justice. So it's not so much a personal revenge thing, although you can apply it that way. Like, you know, somebody somebody talks bad about you, so you talk bad about them. I mean, that certainly uh, is bad. But no, what he's talking about specifically is, listen, don't take, like, justice and and... Uh, you know, the sword into your own hands. I mean, listen, this is congruent with the teachings of Jesus who says if you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. And Paul's whole idea is, listen, that's not how we live. Like, no, like, don't, don't take matters into your own hands. And so instead he says, listen, but leave room for God's wrath. Like, you want to create wrath? No, no. Leave room for God to take care of it. Leave room for God to set things right. Leave room for God to be the one who rights all wrongs. Leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. In other words, God would say, listen, the reason you don't take matters into your own hands, the reasons you don't dispense justice, the reason you don't rise up, is because it's mine to set right. Verse 20. On the contrary, and here's, here's what we're supposed to do, Paul would say. If your enemy is hungry, eat him. If he's thirsty, Give him something to drink. And then he says, and in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And you're like, ah, I see judgment. That's not what he's talking about. It's not about raining fire from heaven. Um, so just think about, uh, if you've read the Gospels, you know, there's points where like people will be, they'll be stationed around a coal fire it's where they went to stay warm and be sustained against the cold. Um, this this phrase in the first century, um, it's not one about judgment. It's about convicting someone's heart. The idea like being like bringing warmth to their head or, uh, like the, basically, they'd be like, oh my gosh, Like this person warmed my heart. Look what they did. I've got it all wrong about them. And this is what Paul is saying. Listen, like feed them, give them something to drink, and in so doing, you'll convict them. That they'll be like, hold on, I did this wrong. Okay, They'll be embarrassed by their actions. And fun fact for you, this is exactly how Christians won the Roman Empire. They didn't win it by like deciding, okay, listen, the Romans are treating us bad, so we're going to take it all back. No, instead what they did was they loved on the Roman Empire really, really well to the point that people saw how radically different they love. There's stories of, of Roman um, uh, captains looking at Christians and being like, wow, look how well they love each other. Okay, And that's how the gospel spread through that empire. It wasn't by force. It was by radical love and mercy. They loved it to the point of change. And so Paul concludes this, and he says this, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil. mean, like, don't, don't let the evil that's around you seep into your heart so that you're responding to evil with evil. Instead, overcome evil with good. And now he does something that his hearers would not expect. What he does is, he takes, like, he, he just said, like, a general theology, this idea of, because of love our enemies. And we know this. This is the golden rule, right? Like, do unto others. And like, like, we know that, okay? But now what Paul does is, of all the ways he could apply what he just said, he brings it specifically to where they live and what they're going through and hits them with something they would absolutely have the most difficult time with. I mean, he, like what he does is, of all the things he could say, it's, what he does is he brings up like a, a way to apply this idea to the most sensitive thing that that these hearers would say. And so he says this in Romans 13, 1, let everyone, so here's the face to what he just said, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Um, in other words, Listen to your political leaders. Listen to those who are governing just because they have laws and actions that you don't like that does not give you the right to rebel against them. And for this next part, guys, I need you to understand how horrible that would be to hear if you were a Roman Christian or a Jewish Christian living in Rome at the time that the book of Romans was written. Because now, we talked about Diaspora, but here's what happened after Claudius died. His son, Nero, took the throne. So when Paul talks about being subject to government authorities, he's talking about the emperor Nero. Now, here's what you need to know about Nero. Okay, First of all, again, Nero took over after his dad died, um, which means nobody voted Nero in. There was no, okay, listen, like we don't really approve of Nero, but just give it four years and then like somebody else will take the throne. Like No, when Nero took the throne, he was there for life. They had no choice about Nero. And then, if you understand the type of man that Nero was, Nero was absolutely a bad dude. Nero, um, if you can believe this, he was so shady, so corrupt, so, I'll say it, evil, that his own mother, his own mother got involved in an assassination plot to kill him. Like Nero's mom was like, this kid's too far, we gotta take him out, okay? Nero's response to this upon finding that was to kill his own mother. Yeah, that's right. Nero killed his own mother. But listen, Nero moves on in life, and you know what? Nero decides he, you know, maybe he's gonna hold his heart or what have you, and so he decides he needs to find love. So Nero gets married, right? And then his first wife, guess what? Nero killed her too. You know why? Because she didn't produce for him the heirs that he wanted. How about that? But you know what? Listen, life moves on, so maybe Nero will try another crack at love and find it. So Nero got married again. And wouldn't you know? Ancient ancient writers tell us that he actually kicked his second wife to death. That when she was pregnant with their child, she did something that Nero like was angry about, didn't justify it at all. But Nero he he lost it and he kicked this woman and their child to death. So you talk about somebody who's being both against the rights of women and the unborn. There's Nero. We go forward, okay? Nero, but listen. He feels lonely, and so in 64 AD, he, what he decides is maybe he'll find love in another means, and so he marries a man named Pythagoras, and, and Nero, you know, like, he, re, he was enough of a traditionalist that he knew there had to be a bride at a wedding, and so Nero dressed himself in a bridal gown and decided that he would be the bride of their marriage, and I guess Pythagoras didn't quite satisfy Nero, and so in 67 AD, Nero found a slave, like a, a young boy named Sporus. And Sporus reminded Nero of his second dead wife, the one that he kicked to death. And so Nero said, you know what, maybe I do want a wife. And so he had this boy castrated, dressed as a woman, and married him. Like, that's Nero, okay? Oh, and also, by the way, Nero really, really hated Christians. Like, really hated Christians. And so, let me give you some examples. So on July 18th, 64 AD, there was this giant fire that broke out in Rome. Uh, to which Nero met with indifference, it's been said, like in legend, you know, like Nero played his fiddle while R- Rome burned, you know. But regardless, Nero realized he had dropped the ball. Some people believe actually Nero accidentally caused the fire himself. Um, but R- Nero realized that because of this catastrophe, he needed to find someone that he could blame to save face. And so wouldn't you know it, there's this group of people that isn't like Christians. And so he decided he would say that Christians started the fire. Any evidence for that? No, but... People don't like Christians. Christians did it, and so, and so people like public sentiment goes up against Christians. And Nero decides, I'm going to kill as many Christians as I can, and and the way that I'll do it is I'll make it as brutal as possible. It's during this point that both Paul and Peter are killed by Nero. Okay. So he decides to make their deaths extra excruciating. Just for starters, listen, we've heard of this thing called crucifixion, right? Where people are nailed to crosses, uh, their blood can be poisoned, they slowly suffocate to death. It's it's the way our Lord died. It's one of the most excruciating deaths that people can die. Well, Nero just starts crucifying Christians left and right. On top of that, he decides, listen, you know what? Let's make it more of a spectacle. And so he took other Christians, wrapped them in the skins of dead animals, and released starving dogs on them to be mauled to death. Nero also famously took Christians, dipped them in tar, impaled them on spikes, and then lit them on fire to keep his gardens lit at night. Like, that's Nero. Like, so when we talk about Paul saying, listen, um, submit to government and authorities, let's understand that Nero represented everything that Paul was against. He represented absolutely everything that a Christian worldview would say, no, don't do that. I mean, Nero was not a Christian. He worshiped Roman gods, kind of. He claimed to be a god. I mean, like, this is a guy who absolutely encapsulates everything against our faith. And so listen, read Romans 13.1 again, though, because here's Paul's response to it. Is it rebel? Is it talk trash on Nero? Is it Listen, Well, he does this, so I'm not gonna. No, no. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Yeah, but but, but but Paul, like Nero. And Paul would go, Yeah, but here's why. Here's why. For there is no authority except that which God has established. There is no authority except that which God has established, meaning, hey, listen, the only reason Nero is on the throne is because God allows him to be. Paul would say, Listen, um, the reason that we listen to Nero is because of the one who placed Nero in power, who's working everything out in creation to his glorious end, the redemption of mankind. So Paul reiterates. Okay, so he, again, he said, uh, there's no authority except that which God has established. And look, he says it again, just in case we miss it, in case he stuttered in writing. The authorities that exist have been established by God. The ones you approve of, yeah. The ones you, you don't approve of, yeah. And and well, how how Paul? How can you say that because because this guy's doing so many bad things? Well, because Paul has a biblical worldview. I mean, just go through the scriptures. This is so like big picture Bible stuff. You go like in the life of Jesus. Remember when Jesus is on trial with Pilate and Pilate says to him like, like, listen, you need to to listen to me, you need to fess up. Don't you understand? I have the authority to release or kill you. Remember Jesus looks him dead in the eyes. Remember what he says? He goes, you have no authority except what's been given to you by my father in heaven. In other words, what Jesus is saying to Pilate is you only have what, what my father gave you. I mean, go back to the Old Testament. Think about David with King Saul, how King Saul is trying to kill David unjustly, simply because he's jealous of David. Remember that? I mean, again and again and again and again, David refuses to kill Saul. You remember why? Remember what he says? He says, I will not touch the Lord's anointed, meaning I won't touch this one who represents the Lord, who is king of our people. Why? Because God placed Saul on the throne. He says, I'll leave that for God to decide. I'll leave the justice to God. I'm not going to kill Saul. I'll let God deal with Saul. We could go forward. We could talk about Elijah, right? And we could talk about uh, how God tells him, listen, I'm going to place this guy Hazael on the throne in in a pagan nation. And Hazael was absolutely not a God follower. Hazael, you go forward in in, uh, 2 Kings, he murders Hebrew women and children. And yet God says to Elijah, I'm going to work through that guy and other things you can't see. We could go to Daniel. My gosh, the book of Daniel is about this. Here's a group of people. They've been ripped from their homes. They've been taken to a foreign land like by King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Their entire way of life has been taken from them. And how does Daniel respond again and again to Nebuchadnezzar? Well, when Nebuchadnezzar asks him to break the law, like in terms of the Hebrew law, he respectfully asks to try this dietary thing, and God blesses it for it. When when Nebuchadnezzar blasphemes against the Lord, does Daniel be like, listen, we've got to get Nebuchadnezzar out? No. He is respectful. O oh, king, here is the interpretation. Oh, king. Like, I mean, you find the same with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Even when the king is willing to kill them, they don't They don't just decide, well, man, you're the worst, so let me tell you what I really think. No, 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 no. Instead, they show respect and they submit to his authority. Why? Well, it's the same reason that Paul says, and if you're taking notes, write this down. The, the reason is really simple. Because God, not human beings, establishes authority. Let me say that again. God, not human beings, establishes authority you can go, well, Bert, you know, I know you, you say that, but the difference between those people and us is that they lived under an oppressive empire where they didn't have the power to, to rise up and take it over versus us who, you know, let's give me liberty and give me death or, or give me death and all that stuff. I will just tell you, like, if that's your if that's your response, that basically, well, it's okay for me to la- listen to authority. It's okay for me to, like, sow seeds of dissension and, and the disrespect those placed over me. Um, you're no different than how everyone else in human history has responded. Again, it's how people have always done it. You don't like it, you fight back. That's not how Christians do it. It's not. It's, it's, why, it's why Paul can write this in First in Timothy 2, 1 through 4. He says, I urge them, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Like, hey, be praying for everybody. Like, oh, yeah, that's a nice idea. Verse 2, for kings. Wait, kings, like the ones who oppress us? Yeah, for kings. And who in authority? All those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Verse 3 This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Has it occurred to you that those, and I would just tell you this, when, when those times arise where people that you don't think should be in government are in government, Has it occurred to you that they are made in the image of God just as much as you are? And God wants to save them too. And you can put this like, you can place their identity in their office and and rob them of their humanity, but I would just tell you, listen, to do so, number one, you're going against how God has ordained things, and number two, God wants to save them. And how will he do that? How how will your witness go to them? Remember, what do you want to be a witness to? How will your witness go to that person if every time you disagree with them, you act like an impetulant child, Throwing temper tantrums in the name of liberty. Well, but thats they didn't have the option, right? Like, like I can rebel, they couldn't. Yeah, by the way, it, it, you are absolutely delusional if you think you can take on the U.S. government and military. Like, good luck with that. No, just, I mean, not good luck. Don't do that. The point is simply this, okay? The point is this, all right? Where do you want your witness to be? And by the way, by the way, in an age, right now, in an age of cable news and late night talk shows and, and blogs on the internet where people just, we were so quick to divide into allies and enemies. If you notice that, there's no, there tends to be no middle ground in our culture with those with whom we disagree. It's either you agree with everything I, I, I believe and say and so you're my ally, or you, agree with, or you disagree with some my thing therefore you're my enemy. What, and it's so stupid, but listen, what would happen in this age of allies and enemies if we loved well those with whom we disagree? If we demonstrate compassion and mercy, and we just kept our daggone mouth shut, because we said, "Listen, the thing that ultimately matters is not me getting my way. It's not my taxes. It's not you know these these how much I pay for health care or not. Like no, what matters is the Lord's glory coming out in the hearts of mankind, government leaders, and not." So Paul continues. He says in Romans thirteen two. Consequently. Whoever rebels against the authority is, look at this, rebelling against what God has instituted. Those who rebel against, Paul says, the reason we don't rebel against Nero, even though I don't agree with anything Nero does, the reason we don't do that is because to rebel against Nero is to rebel against God, God who's placed him there. We're fighting against not just Nero, we're fighting against God. He says, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For the rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants. And he doesn't mean servant in terms of like seeking God's will. He means one who's bringing about God's justice on the earth. Okay, God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. And it's this point, as we're reading through this passage, that those who know this passage but don't want to do this passage are going to voice an objection. And here's what it is. They're gonna say, listen, okay, listen. What Paul's been saying is, okay, we're to submit to authority, and that's great. And but then he clarifies what he means by authority. It's those who do the right thing. And so, if authority is doing right by me, you know, if 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 I'm if I'm living uh, and I'm not breaking the law, and authority leaves me alone, then okay, I'll submit to it. But if I've got authority that's oppressive, if I've got authority that's tyrannical, then I don't have to listen to it because that's like Paul's not talking about that here. And and I would just tell you two things. Number one, um. That interpretation is not supported by the context of this passage at all. I mean, listen, go back to Romans 12, right? Remember, listen, do good to those who do evil towards you. like that. That's the context for this passage. So absolutely, Paul is aware of authority uh, not doing right by people. That's not what he's talking about. Number two, I would say, listen, that interpretation is not supported by church history at all. Nobody who read this in the original audience responded by being like, listen, as long as as authority is right to me, then I'll I'll listen to it. They never did that. They kept their heads down. They took suffering when it came their way. And the reason they did that was because they believed that God, not Nero, was ultimately in charge. They believed that God, not their kings, not their governors, not those in the government. No, the one who was ultimately in charge, who was working all things out for their good, was God. God. So Paul continues in verse 5, Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities. Why? Well, not only because of possible punishment, but look at this, but also as a matter of conscience. Meaning Paul said, this is a moral issue for us, guys. Like, what's in our hearts, how much we trust God, how much we're willing to like believe that he's on the throne. This is a matter of our conscience. Are we really going to trust God, even though like, things will not go the way that we want them to? It's a matter of conscience. It's a matter of morality, right versus wrong, not just policy. Paul would say, listen, I may not like Nero, but I will listen to Nero. And the reason I'll listen to Nero, as long as he doesn't require, like, ask me to sin uh, against the Lord or, or to worship another God, the reason that I'll do that is not because of Nero, but because God is in control. I mean, guys, I cannot stress how much this idea just flows through all of the Scriptures. Like, look, this this goes down to the degree of those who are your boss at work. I mean, you find, like in Colossians, there's this point where Paul says this in Colossians 3.23. He says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Meaning Paul would say, listen, like when you're at work and, and your boss doesn't treat you well and, and you're not being paid, but you should think you should be paid for, listen, the reason that you give it your all is because ultimately you're really working for God. Why? Well, because God placed that boss over you. God placed that person in position, and so you show honor, you show respect, you give it everything that you can. Why? Because the one whose authority we are ultimately submitting to is God's. Now, here's why I'm going to bring this for us, okay? Okay? Because listen, our church is mostly theologically conservative, which means chances are good many of us are politically conservative. And what I see among my like my, my fellow conservatives during this season is th- this idea of, "Well, listen, they didn't treat Trump well, and so I'm, I'm gonna not treat Biden well." And back and forth, and I hear this language of, "Like, listen, you know, like the Biden Biden's not my president because the vote was stolen and for, whatever." With that, I mean that's just. But look, okay, this whole language of, of you know, Biden is not my president. Here's what I would say to you in light of what we just read. Okay, is he serving in the office of president of the United States? Yes. And then he is your president. Why? Because God put him there. He's in place there by God, according to what we've just read. And so you are to submit to him and honor him. And let's just own this. For many of us, listen, the, the reason that we get... So bent out of shape, it's not because of the worst person in the world taking office. It's because we have these little opinions about how things should be done. And and Paul would say, yeah, yeah, we're going to disagree. But let me tell you something. When it comes down to it, you give them everything you possibly can of yourself. And so he says in verse 6, this is also why you pay taxes. What? Yeah, that's why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. And Paul's original audience is going, wait, 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 Paul. You're telling me this guy who is killing my brothers and sisters in the Lord in these incredibly brutal ways, you want me to give my money to support his salary? And Paul said, "Yeah, yeah. Why? Well, verse seven. Give everyone. Everyone wants you owe them. If you owe taxes, you pay taxes. Period. There's a bill, you pay it. If revenue, then revenue. If look at this, respect. Then respect." And if honor, then honor. And i want just in this age of us always complaining, being passive aggressive, trading barbs about those who we somehow think uh, shouldn't be in whatever or position they are in. According to the Bible, what we just read here is that all political leaders are due these things. They're due our respect. They're due our honor. They are, like, they, we owe them those things. That Okay, since they've been placed there, and again, it wasn't them, it was God, we will give them these things. We will treat them well in the name of Jesus. Which is why, church, as we wrap up in just a second, we're gonna pray for President Biden. We are. And before we do, I wanna ask you for a couple of things. As we go into this next four years of a new presidency, here's what I wanna ask you for. Number one. I want to ask you to commit to praying for him regularly. Pray that God blesses him. Pray that God gives him wisdom. Pray that God uses him to further our country in good things and that ultimately God uses him to further us to come to know the Lord better and be more like the Lord. I don't want you to passive-aggressively pray for him. I don't want you to pray, God, get him. No, no, I want you to pray for him that his heart would be enriched through his office and his heart would be enriched through us. By the way, here's the fun fact. If you're, if, if, as, as I've been talking about all of this and you're like, okay, I get it, man, it's just so hard for me to do. Here's what I'll tell you it's really difficult to remain angry with those who you're praying for. So if you're like, oh man, I, 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 I want to get there, Bert, but I'm just not there yet, start praying for them. See what happens. So, number one, I want to ask you to commit to regularly praying for our president for the next four years. And number two, I wanna ask you to, whenever possible, refrain from adding to the noise. At the beginning of this talk, I talked about this idea of watching what your witnesses to. I wanna ask you, whenever possible, to make sure that it's only to Jesus. So when, when political administrations come up and they do things that you disagree with, don't passive-aggressively post on Facebook some weird article that your uncle posted. Like, no, don't do that nonsense. Don't be known for your politics. Like whenever possible, refrain from adding to the noise. Like when when the president or a senator or the governor or whoever does stuff that you disagree with, rein it in. Don't just post whenever you feel like it. Am I saying that there won't be times where you won't disagree? No. And there may come times where you just feel like it's absolutely necessary. Okay, but put a check on it. Whenever possible, and possible is more often than not. Refrain from adding to the noise. Why? Well, because in all this age of fear and all this, like, you know, oh my gosh, I mean, just how, how people just elevate and elevate and elevate. You know, here's this person in their power. They're going to take away my liberties and here's this other person. They're going to take away my this or my that. Um, that's how people who don't know Jesus respond. Like, I get it. I get it. Like, if you don't know Jesus, and it seems like somebody's taking more of your money or your stuff or your guns or, or your property values or whatever. I get responding that way because this is all that you've got. But for those of us who are in Christ, come on, man. We know that we're not living for this. We know that we're not taking any of this with us. We know that ultimately the one that we're living for is the life to come. We're just we're just visiting here. Our real home is not even here. And so I want to ask you, man, live that way. Respond that way. Whenever possible, refrain from adding to the noise. So let's pray. Come on, church family, right now, let's pray for our president. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for President Biden. We do, okay, for the ones like, I can't do that. Well, 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says to give thanks in all circumstances. And so, yes, absolutely we can. Lord, we give you thanks because we know that nobody takes authority except those with whom you have established. And so, Lord, we ask you now for your blessings on our president. We ask you for your blessings on his administration. We ask you to bless our country through him. Lord, wherever there's wherever there's division, wherever there's a lack of unity and anger and bitterness, we ask you to, to conform those things to the image of Christ in our hearts right now that we would reflect Jesus's mercy, compassion, and nature in these situations. Lord Jesus, we ask you for your blessings on our country. We ask you to heal divisions. We ask you to, in this next four years to let your name be glorified in our nation in a way that it never has been before. Would you bless President Biden? Would you use him uh, to to bring that about? Lord, we also ask you for your blessing on his family, that that all of the stresses that they're going to have have to carry through all this, that, that you take care of them, that you give them all safety, that you give them all protection, and that you enrich us and you enrich him through the power and name of your son, Jesus. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray and trust. Amen. Amen and amen. Church family, I want to thank you so much for joining us this morning for Church at Home. Listen, I recognize right now we are in uncertain times, and so I want to just extend this invite to you like we do almost every week. If you are going through something right now and you need help, please email us hello at solidground.church. Let us know how we can serve you. Let us know how we can be praying for you and, and what we can do. Guys, at this time, you are dismissed. Thank you so much for tuning in to Church at Home, and we will see you next week for the last part of Hindsight is 2020.